For our text, uh, we shall turn to the Gospel of St. John, chapter 8. The Gospel of St. John, chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. This, I believe, is the appropriate place to begin this series of messages on Abraham. You might feel that I ought to begin with the 11th chapter of Genesis and move into the 12th and on through to the 50th with all these many references to him. And you move up from the 11th chapter to the 17th chapter, and he's called Abram all the way through. And then in the fifth verse, his name is changed to Abraham. And from that time on to the remainder of the book of Genesis and the remainder of the Bible, he's always called Abraham. He is Abraham because he is a father of nations. He's a father of peoples. He is Abraham because God called him and ordained that he should occupy this tremendously pivotal and foundational position in the whole economy of God's church and of God's people. And when you read the early accounts, uh, God tells him that he's going to give him a land, a land. And whenever these promises are repeated, it is a land that he's going to give him. From the river of Egypt to the river of the Euphrates. Then God tells him that he's going to make him a father of many peoples. That he will fulfill promises which he has given to him, a covenant that he gave him, a covenant which had a special sign, which was circumcision. And when he was 99 years of age, he was circumcised. And this covenant would endure to all generations. Tremendous thing that God said that he would do with Abraham. Then he gave to Abraham his faith. And Abraham is recorded in the great catalog of the heroes in the 11th chapter. How by faith he overcame. And how by faith he went out, not knowing whether he went. And how by faith uh, Sarah conceived in her old age. And how by faith he offered up his son Isaac. We'll get into all these accounts. We'll deal with them in this series of messages. But this is not the place where I'm starting. I feel that if we're going to treat Abraham and look at him, we must always look at him in his relationship to Christ. And if we look at him in his relationship to our Savior, we'll see him in his proper perspective, and then we'll see our Savior, the seed which was promised and the one in whom Abraham delighted. And we're going to see in Abraham 
a great exaltation of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, when we turn into the New Testament, you can't even read the first sentence of the New Testament without running into Abraham. And then you find these various references of our Savior to Abraham. And the one particularly, the first one that seems to stand out is that Abraham is alive. He's alive now. He will always be alive. And then we come to this particular passage which I'm going to deal with in some length today in the 8th chapter of John where our Savior takes up this question of Abraham. And as he defends Abraham, as he honors the name of Abraham, he just simply crushes the unbelieving Jews about him. And as they fight him and as the conflict rages, Jesus Christ said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. And he was glad. And you should be glad. And then he brings this great and mighty climax before Abraham was I am. But it's interesting when you turn through the New Testament to see how the whole New Testament is tied in with Abraham. When you come to the preaching of the apostles and Peter gets up on the second day, his great second sermon there at Pentecost. And it is he appeals to Abraham, the God of Abraham has fulfilled his covenant promise and hath seen this one crucified whom ye crucified. Then you move on through and Stephen goes to preaching and when they get ready to stone Stephen, he's just finished talking about his father Abraham and how he's a child of Abraham. And then when you move into the preaching of the Apostle Paul and you get Paul over in Antioch preaching that great sermon in Pisidian Antioch recorded in the 13th chapter of Acts in the 17th verse. And here again Paul makes this tremendous appeal unto Abraham. And then when you move into the book of Romans you come to the third but particularly the fourth chapter of Romans the entire chapter deals with Abraham and we'll spend a whole sermon on Romans 4. And then when you move on from Romans 4, you get over into the ninth chapter where Abraham comes in in relationship to the Jews and God's program for the Jews and the plan. And in Galatians, you run into the third chapter of Galatians. And the whole third chapter of the epistle to the Galatians is given over to Abraham in order to demonstrate that you and I are children of Abraham by faith. Abraham is my father. Abraham is your father. And there's been only one Savior, only one covenant, only one gospel, only one church, only one great tie. All down these centuries in here we are bound in with Abraham. And that's Paul's great argument when you get into that third and the fourth chapters of Galatians. And then we move into Hebrews. And at Hebrews, Abraham is a good one because he brings ties to Melchizedek. And he's in the 11th chapter of Hebrews as one of the great illustrious of the faith. And finally you find this glorious man standing here over the whole company of the redeemed that sing of the blood of Jesus Christ. But today I'm going to turn to this one passage where Jesus Christ confronts the unbelieving Jews with Abraham. And when he reaches the climax of this confrontation, don't anybody dare call this thing a dialogue. 
That's what they like to call this sort of thing today. This isn't a dialogue. This is a rebuke. This is a confrontation. This is the place when Jesus Christ stands up to those who appeal to Abraham and he says, you have no basis and you have no right to appeal to Abraham as you are doing now. And when he completes, when he comes to the end of this confrontation, he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. Abraham believed in me. And furthermore, Jesus said, I say unto you that before Abraham was, before Abraham ever lived, before Abraham ever rejoiced to see my day, my day extended far beyond and before Abraham. I am. Now when you turn to this clash, that's what it is, which Jesus had with the Pharisees and the religious leaders about him. We find that a situation existed. It was there when our Savior arrived. They weren't going to listen to him. They weren't going to heed him. But they were all bound down with their traditions and with their positions. And they were going to maintain these positions. John the Baptist made very clear reference to this in the opening of his ministry. And in the third chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, if you'll turn to it, you'll find that in verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. You hypocritical Pharisees and Sadducees are going around here saying, Abraham's our father, Abraham's our father, Abraham's our father. We don't want to listen to this, John the Baptist. We don't want to listen to any of these others. We are being true to Abraham. And we're going to find our Lord Jesus Christ in one of the most sternest engagements of his whole ministry, clashing with these men over Abraham over who Abraham was, over what Abraham did, over what Abraham meant to them. And this is the clash that comes before us now in this 8th chapter of John. And if you'll turn to it, we'll begin with the 33rd verse. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed. They said to this carpenter as he rebuked them, Don't you talk like that. We know more than you do. We're the descendants of Abraham. We're proud of the fact that we belong to Abraham. And we've never been bound down by anybody. And beloved, you have an excellent illustration of how people become so attached to a tradition or to a heritage that they lose the spirit of it, they get away from the very substance and meaning of it, 
and they still hold on to the shell. And they were holding on to an old shell which they called Abraham. We be Abraham's seed, they said. And when you come down to verse 37, our Savior turned and said, I know that you're Abraham's seed. I know that you're the physical descendants of Abraham. I know that you can claim your lineage back to Abraham, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen of my father, and ye do that which ye have seen of your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man who hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, and this did not Abraham. Now this is our setting. This is the stage. Just as clear as it can be. And Jesus has decided to take his own word, his own knowledge, and with its sharp cutting edge, to pierce down into the hearts of these men and open up their naked, filthy, sinful nature and let it come out. And it's going to come out. You're going to see come out of the mouths and come out of the hearts of these men who said, We be Abraham's seed. We are proud. We are leaders. We know Abraham. Jesus Christ said, I know you're Abraham's children according to the flesh if you want to count physical generation, but you are not the children of Abraham. You could not possibly be the children of Abraham. If you were the children of Abraham, you would do the works of the children of Abraham. And the children of Abraham have works, good works to do. The children of Abraham, beloved, have a life to live. And you don't have that life. You don't have those works. And furthermore, what you're saying about me is evidence of the fact that you don't have the life and the spirit and the faith of Abraham. May I stop here just a moment because we're going to develop this as we go through this series. Did you know that you are a child of Abraham? I am not of the seed of Abraham physically. I am not a descendant physically. You and I are Gentiles. We can't in any way trace back our human blood back to Abraham. We can't do it. But they could. They had it. But we are the children of Abraham by faith. We've entered into the promises that God has given to Abraham. And we have believed in the promise that God gave that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of that serpent. And we have been justified by grace through faith. We have come into the knowledge of the true God in the way and only way that God gave to Abraham. And as the children of Abraham, you and I have the works of Abraham to do. And as I unfold this series of messages, we're going to deal with these works of Abraham. And the great work of Abraham was that he walked by faith. He lived in tents. 
and he spent all his lifetime journeying and looking for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God, and he never, never attained that city. He never reached that city during his earthly pilgrimage, and that city is yet to be reached. Abraham was a man of faith. He lived by faith, and all his works were built upon faith. And as I unfold this series of messages for you, the works of the children of Abraham are the works of faith. By that which God's servants do, believing the Lord. They're that which the people of God undertake because they are serving him. And Jesus Christ is saying in this point, you're not doing the works of Abraham. You couldn't possibly do the works of Abraham because you don't have the right attitude toward Abraham's Savior. You don't have the right attitude toward the one who saved Abraham and put Abraham on the right course and made Abraham a man of faith and made him live by faith. And the only place to start when it comes to being a child of Abraham so you can do some works is to begin at this place where faith takes hold and you become a new creature, a child of faith by trusting Jesus Christ. Beloved, I've seen some very, very striking instances of salvation this summer. I've seen the Lord save some old men. I've seen the Lord save some old, old people. And they're not easy to come to the Lord. But I also have seen the Lord save some young men and some children. And one night, following one of the meetings there, I gave an invitation. And there was a young man who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a real, genuine acceptance. The young man was asked the next morning how long he'd been saved. He said, well, I was saved last night. He says, I want to tell you something. He says, I've been a Roman Catholic all my life. And he said, you should have seen the way I've been carrying on against this fellow McIntyre. And he says, I just carried on. But he says, I came in here. I decided I'd come and see. I decided I'd come and listen to what was going on. And he said, something happened to me last night. I ceased to be a Roman Catholic. I became a Protestant last night. He says, I became a Christian. He said, when McIntyre was explaining to me that it was by faith and by faith alone and that what was going in my ears would go down in my heart and the Spirit of God would give me faith, he says, that's what happened. He says, I believe, and that young man is a Christian today, and it was the faith of Abraham that laid hold upon him, and he believed. And beloved, you can't even start to do the works of Abraham until you have the faith of Abraham. And if you have the faith of Abraham, then you'll be a child of Abraham. And then you can go ahead and do the works of Abraham which we all must have. This doing the works of Abraham, I hope that'll just hang over this entire series of messages as we develop them together. 
the works of Abraham. Let's build a church on the works of Abraham. Let's go ahead and do these things that come out of faith in us. And beloved, I, we've had a busy season and many of us have been away and we've had all manner of things. But the greatest thing, the one thing that you and I must do now is to do the works of Abraham. And let's build a house of God. Let's build the kingdom of our God. Let's bring men to Christ. Let's witness to these men. And let's show them that this message which we have, which is that Christ died for our sins, that God raised him from the dead, that this is the message that will give us the great treasures of eternity. This will do it. Now let's go back to this chapter in John, the eighth chapter of John. And Jesus begins in verse 41, Ye do the deeds of your father. You're not doing the deeds of Abraham. You're doing the deeds of your father. Then they said unto him, We don't like the way you talk about our father. We don't like your reflections upon us. We be not born of fornication. We're good people. We're righteous men. We're religious leaders. We're the respected men of Jerusalem. We be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. And they think now that they're going to be able to move from Abraham over to God. They said we have one Father, even God. And beloved, here are people who are totally deluded, blinded by the religious uh, uh, ignorance and their religious error just totally ignorant and Jesus said verse 42 if God were your father you say God is your father God is not your father no more than Abraham's your father if God were your father ye would love me the test of whether you have a father is your attitude toward Jesus Christ. That's the test. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And beloved, if you love Jesus Christ, if you know Jesus Christ, you have a Father in heaven, and if you don't know him, you have no Father in heaven. And this is the line that's drawn here by our Savior so clearly as he comes to grips with these claims concerning Abraham. I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Oh, the personal testimony of the Son of God. I am here. I proceeded from him. I left glory. I came in obedience to a great commandment that I was to come down here and take unto myself the likeness of sinful flesh and be born of a woman, be born of a virgin, be born under the law. And coming down into this world of sin, the Father sent me. And I have come here for one purpose, to bring you back to the Father and to bring to you the knowledge of God. Now, beloved, at that point, you have this incisive, you have this sharp cutting edge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is none other name. There is no other way. There is no other gospel, and we possess it. We have received it. 
And having received that gospel and having believed that God sent forth his son, then everything that you have and everything that you are and everything that you do and everything that we plan and think must be in his service and for his glory. And it's total obligation, this full and complete binding tie which we have with the Son of God when he said, if God were your father, he would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from him. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? How may I say to you people just now who are listening and those of you who are on the radio, a great many of you understand this speech. But a great many of you don't understand this speech. The line is drawn between those who see and those who don't see. Between those who have heard and those who have not heard. That line is there. And as I expound this and as we open up what our Savior is saying here about himself and about those who are listening to him, I want you to see that those of us who have been born again and are redeemed, we understand. Therefore, we must go. Those who do not see and do not understand, they're the ones that we must reach with our going. They're the ones that we must pray that God will open the eyes of their understanding and that they will receive the Lord Jesus Christ. This line between the saved and the lost, this line between those who've been born again and those who've never been regenerate, that's the line that must be kept clear at all times and in all places by the people of God. You're either saved or you're lost. And that's the line the Savior's emphasizing at that point. Now notice. You don't understand my speech. You can't even hear what I'm saying, my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. You're going to talk about God? You say God's your father? All right, I'll tell you who your father is. Your father is the devil. His lusts are in your heart. And these are the things that the old devil has produced. I had a very interesting article this week that appeared in the New York Times in some well-known Scientist over in Oxford had just delivered a very important paper on man. And the New York Times gave, I think, about four columns to this great scientific and scholarly dissertation on man. And the paper observed that the ordinary animals about us aren't like man. They don't go around shooting each other up. And it seems to be man is uh, the one... Uh, animal down here that, that makes war and destroys himself. And so the paper went on in careful analysis to say that though man did come from the animals, there was something about man that they couldn't quite explain because it isn't reflected exactly in the animals like it is in man. And they want to study this and analyze it. And furthermore, they say the situation is so serious, if they don't get the answer to it and then have controls over man, man will destroy himself. And I read that with the greatest of interest, and I wish somebody could have just sent that great learned scholar of Oxford with his great paper, the first two chapters of Romans, and let him read that. 
There it is. Man is a moral creature. A cat isn't. Man is a moral creature. A dog isn't. Man is a moral creature. A monkey isn't. Man is a moral creature. A horse isn't. Man is a moral creature and he has this conscience in him that's related to his creator right and wrong and man has this element of personal responsibility and it's right in here that this whole question of sin, being bound down under sin, being bound in bondage to Satan and when you come into this area where Jesus Christ sent from the Father, the Son of God is exposing and debunking their whole appeal to Abraham. He says, ye are of your father the devil. God's not your father. Abraham's not your father. The old devil has control of you. The old devil has control of man. The old devil is in the heart of man. And beloved, it is this gospel that we are preaching from this pulpit this morning and only this gospel that can help sinful man. This is the only thing that can help. It alone has the power to change a man on the inside and make him a new creature in Jesus Christ. Verse 45, because I tell you the truth, you won't believe me. If you think I'm a sinner, if that's what you're going to say about me, well, who can convince me of sin? He's standing up to him. He's facing them step by step. And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? Here I am sent from God. I'm telling you the truth. He that is of God will hear God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say not unto us, Thou dost not say well. Art thou a Samaritan, and thou hast a devil? Jesus answered, I do not have a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. Beloved, this is the sharpest clash that you have anywhere in the Bible. It can't get any sharper. You know what they said to him? They said, You have a devil. He turned around and says, I'm sorry, you have the devil. Now, you can't get any closer than that. One side says, you've got the devil, and the other side says, no, you have the devil. Well, it happened to be that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and he was speaking, and he was right in telling the uh, Pharisees that they had the devil. Each side. One says, I have God. The other says, no, I have God. I've been sent from him. One says, you have a devil. The other side said, no, you have the devil. And when you draw the lines right down through here, one side says, we belong to Abraham. Jesus Christ says, no, you don't know anything about Abraham. We're Abraham's children. You know, you couldn't be Abraham's children. God is our father. No, God couldn't be your father. You have a devil? No, you don't have a devil. And here it is. And Jesus Christ was on the side of Abraham. Jesus Christ was on the side of uh, God, and Jesus Christ was against the devil. They were not on the side of Abraham, but claimed they were. They were not on the side of God, but claimed they were. They were on the side of the devil, but they denied they were. And here you have the two lines, the two worlds, the two sides. And beloved, you belong to either one. You belong to one or the other. 
You're either on the side of those who are not the children of Abraham, or you're on the side of those who are the children of Abraham. You're on the side of those who do not know God, or you're on the side of those who have him, the true God. And this is the line that our Savior draws. Now let's run on down to the end of this paragraph here. And here we find our Savior. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man will keep my sayings, he will never see death. Then answered the Jews unto him, now we know that you're of a devil. Now we're sure of it. Abraham's dead. The prophets are dead. And thou hast said that if a man will keep your very words, that he'll never see bad. Oh, beloved, how beautiful this gospel reigns. If you will believe the word that fell from his lips, if you will believe that he died in your room instead, if you will believe in him as he has asked you, you will never taste of death. You will never, never see death. He has the words of life. He has the word that rebukes the devil. He has the word that exposes the Pharisees. He has the word that defends Abraham. He has all of these things. And here our Savior says unto them so very, very clearly, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then the Jews rose up and they said, Now we've got you. Now we've heard it from you. Now we've got it from your lips. You say, if a man believes in you, he'll never see death. You've got a devil. You talk like somebody who deals in the worlds of the devils. Beloved, when you're in darkness, you uh, multiply the darkness. When you're in darkness, you live in that realm of darkness. When you're in darkness, you explore the darkness. And you never get out of that darkness. And it's the darkness of unbelief that our world is reveling in. That's what it is. You and I live in a world of life, of light, of Christ, of truth, of victory over death. And in this world we find great peace and great joy and great comfort. We have come into the knowledge of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And how the gospel stands out here as our Savior develops it. And then they say in verse 40, 53, they say, Art thou greater than our father Abraham? Oh, they say, do you mean to say, you talk like this to us, do you mean to say that you're even beyond our father Abraham? The answer to this question, of course, is yes. And Jesus takes it now and develops. He's dead. The prophets are dead. Whom makest thou thyself? And Jesus said, all right, I'll tell you whom I make myself. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you, but I know him and keep his sayings. Of all the passages of Scripture, this eighth chapter of John is hated. It's hated. Hated by the Jews, the unbelieving Jews. It's hated by the world. And this is the chapter they want to cut out. They want to tear it out. They want to get the thing out. The lines are so clear. The issues have been drawn. And Jesus Christ said you couldn't possibly have any knowledge of God 
because you don't know me. But I know him. And if I should say I didn't know him, I'd be a liar. Talk about devil. Talk about liar. Talk about language. It's in the Bible, just as straight and clear as can be. I would be a liar like you. You men are liars. You are in darkness. You are manifesting the deeds and the works of ungodly man. That's who you are. Imagine talking to the religious leaders of the town. Imagine talking to the Pharisees in turn. No wonder they sought to kill him. No wonder they had to eliminate him. No wonder they were determined to crucify him. No wonder they couldn't stand him. Here he is. We had an experience the other night down at the auditorium I was preaching and I was over in one of these passages expounding it just like me expounding this one to you and I got down to that section in Timothy where the apostle said withdraw thyself oh beloved when you get into these passages this scripture just cuts it cuts it cuts it hurts it really cuts and a gentleman had come into the uh, auditorium and had on a sweatshirt and he'd come right up to about the fourth seat from the front on the outer aisle. He sat down. Nice looking fella. Must have been about 38 or 40 years of age. As I preached, I noticed he's taking down everything I was saying. Taking it down. And uh, so I kept going, kept developing my outline of the message and expounding the scriptures. And we got down to one of these sharp cutting points, you know, where it's light and darkness, where it's heaven and hell, and where it's Christ and the devil, just where I am right now. And you know, beloved, that thing got too much for that stuff. He just popped up like he shot up all of a sudden. He got up and began to mumble and start walking down the aisle. He says, I'm withdrawing myself. And then he went on down the aisle and turned around and says, you hate the FCC. And then he went on out. Of course, everybody was stunned and looked around. Man, walking out of Mr. McIntyre's service, I hadn't done a thing, just preached the word. But this thing, you know, the, the, the word is a savor unto life and it's a savor unto death. These two things. And when you preach it, you know what I did? I said, everybody just stop. Just stop. And we prayed. I prayed for the fellow. I said, Lord, speak to that man. This, this cut, it cut. And it's when you get cut like that, you know, and to go deep that the Spirit of God can move in and he can change. And we prayed for the salvation of that man. We prayed God would save him. And I believe God will answer that prayer. He can answer the prayer. But after he went out, some of the people followed him. Then he went out and got in a car that was out parked out there. And on the side of the car was printed in letters, Union Theological Seminary. So I don't know who the fellow was, but it's a shame he had Union Theological Seminary. He may have just borrowed the car for the night. You don't know. But at least, beloved, when you get to this place where you come in here with a sharp cutting urge and you're dealing with these men, your father Abraham. No, he's not your father. Not until you have had the faith of Abraham and you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 56, our Savior said... <laughs> Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. He saw it and was glad. You turn over to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. 
Look at the 13th person. Here's what Hebrews tells us. Beautiful, beautiful section in here. These all died in faith. See, this is right after Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. These all died in faith. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. He was persuaded. He believed the promises. He knew that the seed would come. And he knew that there would be a redemption from sin. And if you're going to be a child of Abraham, you must have that faith. And then our Savior added as he closed the great confrontation. Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, here I tower over all history, over all time, over all the purposes and the plans of God. Everything converges and comes down to me. I am. I am. I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And when Jesus finished demolishing the Hebrew unbelievers in Jerusalem, when he finished debunking their claims of being children of Abraham, when he finished it all, he said, Abraham was so glad when he learned of me. Oh, Abraham looked to me, and furthermore, before Abraham was here, I stand above it all and over it all. And here I am, the only Savior. The Father sent me to redeem you. Now, beloved, this is our message as we open this series on Abraham. Let's have the faith of Abraham, and let's put Christ up where he belongs, where Christ placed himself before Abraham, and let us have the joy that Abraham had as he looked to Christ. Amen. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for this study. We thank you that there's something about the word itself that comes into our hearts and it cleanses us. It makes us refreshed. And we thank thee that as we go from this church service just now, we know that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Amen. Now let us close by turning, please, to this great number, O Faith. Oh, for a faith that will not shrink. 603, and we'll sing the first and the last of the stanzas, please.